All right. As I look around the room, I am reminded that I wouldn't have known any of you if it wasn't for Jesus. Unless one person's here, but... Oh, yes, Derek. He and I grew up in the same hometown. So other than Derek and I, I wouldn't have known any of you. And yet, all those moments that just happened, God designed you for those moments from before you were born with someone you might never have met if it wasn't for Jesus. And so God is building his church and it's such a beautiful time to get together on the Lord's day and encourage one another. And you can do those interactions before the service and after the service as well. Um, Encourage one another on your way home as well today as we greet one another all throughout the day. Well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're studying the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And in our church's statement of faith, we have point number 7 reprinted on the back of your bulletin. It's about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. I'll read it. It says, we believe that the Holy Spirit indwells, regenerates, seals, sanctifies, convicts, teaches, and empowers believers. So we're preaching through these beliefs, and we're going to finish next week. We're going to almost finish the list today. Today we'll see that the Holy Spirit indwells, regenerates, and seals. No, we've seen that already. Indwells, regenerates, and seals with the last few sermons. Today, we'll look at how the Holy Spirit sanctifies convicts and teaches us. We need that. Let me pray first and then I will read from Galatians 5. Heavenly Father, we need you. I need you right now. You have saved us by grace through faith in your son Jesus. And at that point you gave us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to make us new. And to seal us and protect us until the last day. But Lord, we need to learn. We need to grow. We need eyes to see your will. We need ears to hear your leading voice. And we need hearts that want to receive your teaching with obedience and joy. So Lord, as we study your word, we need you. And we need your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts and minds. So will you do that for us now, Lord, as we look to your word? We ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Galatians 5, I'll be looking at verses 16 through 26. I'm going to read the whole thing now. It's also reprinted on the back of your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Let's hear the word of our Lord, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In this passage, we have a clear spiritual problem, and we're told that the Holy Spirit is going to help us with that problem. We have a clear problem, and the Holy Spirit is going to help us with that problem. The problem is in verse 16, although it's all over the text. And the solution is that the Holy Spirit fills three roles in the life of the believer. Other than that, he does a lot of things. But for this morning, the Holy Spirit fulfills three roles. And I'm going to call those roles coach, critic, and counselor. So we have a problem, which we'll look at first, and then we'll see how the Holy Spirit, to address that problem, is our coach, our critic, and our counselor. Those three verbs will cover the breadth of what we mean in our statement of faith by sanctifies, convicts, and teaches. So first, let's look at the problem and then the three roles of the Holy Spirit. Here is the problem. You are a sinner And you like it. That's the problem. You are a sinner and you like it. There are desires of your flesh that are against the will of God, and you say yes to those desires at times. You gratify the desires of your flesh. Verse 16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not. Gratify the desires of the flesh. That language, gratify desires. I want it, I'll get it. I want to eat that, I'll eat it. I want to drink that, I'll drink it. I want to get angry, I'll get angry. I want, I want, I want. I do, I do, I do. That's what we do as humans. We gratify the desires of our flesh. And if they are sinful desires and we gratify them, it's sin. So we enjoy sin. Sin is fun, or at least it feels fun. Sin feels good to our minds when we consider it, or at least it appears that way when we're tempted. Let me try and prove 
that to you. Uh, How many of you ate a handful of dirt this week? Anybody? Why not? Because you didn't want to. That's why you didn't eat a handful of dirt this week. None of you walked out your door and saw a little pile of dirt and started thinking, oh man, if I grab a handful of that. You didn't desire a handful of dirt. But if you sinned this week, you saw something worse than dirt and you desired it and you went and grabbed it and you gratified that desire. Something worse than dirt. When we sin, it's because we believe it will be enjoyable or powerful or worthwhile. It will help us get ahead. It will help us make progress in life. We sin because we think it will be enjoyable. And and sin is very deceptive. Think about Judas who betrayed Jesus. Uh, Satan didn't tempt Judas this way. Hey, Judas, I got an idea. Kick Jesus off of a cliff. That's not what Judas did. That's too obvious. Sinful temptations that are that obvious, we know that's not going to work. The temptation for Judas was, hey, Judas, you guys are getting in a lot of trouble. But if you hand Jesus over to the authorities now, you'll be one of the good guys and you'll make a little money on the way. And he thought that looks desirable. I won't be in trouble with the government and I'll have some extra money. And so it looked good to Judas and he betrayed Jesus because he wanted to gratify the desires of his flesh. Sin is often like that. It's not this obvious pure evil that we run to all the time, but it's something good that we take and make too important. Think about it. Think about it. Food is good, but sinful overeating is gluttony. The food might be good, but it's become too important to the glutton. Exercise is good, but an overemphasis on how good we look and we exercise and we give all of our schedule to that exercise, a a sinful overemphasis on how we look is conceit. So the exercise might be good, but it's become too important. We see one of the sinful desires is sexual immorality. Sex is good. God designed sex to be a beautiful thing, but sex outside of marriage is destructive and selfish. And even sex inside of marriage can become weaponized. Sex is good, but it can easily be something sinful. Debate is good. I like to debate. But sometimes people want to debate all the time because it makes them feel better than other people. Debate can be good and healthy and nourishing, and yet sometimes we use it for sinful purposes. Money is good, but how many people have ruined their lives in the pursuit of wealth and security or ruined their lives with their families? So good things can become sinful when done outside of God's good boundaries. And then, of course, some sins are only evil in category. There's no good to ethnic enmity. There's no good to murder. But most sins are good things that we give into in a sinful going outside of God's boundaries. And this is our problem. Verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're sinners and we like it. We're all born into sin, but thanks be to God, Jesus saves everyone who calls on his name. 
Everyone who calls on his name. And as soon as you're saved, you repent of your sins, you turn to Jesus, you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive that by grace through faith in Jesus. As soon as that happens, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you walk in a way that overcomes your old life of gratifying your sinful desires. Because we need help, don't we? So that's the problem. We need someone to help us with this sin problem, to walk in the newness of life, to help grow as children of God. And the Holy Spirit does three things for us. The Holy Spirit is our coach, our critic, and our counselor. So that's the problem. Now we'll look at the Holy Spirit as coach, and then critic, and then counselor. The Holy Spirit is our spiritual coach. As soon as you're saved and believe, you get the Holy Spirit and he will function as your coach. Look at verse 16 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As believers, we are new creations. We're born again. And just like a new baby needs to learn how to walk, a new Christian needs to learn how to walk. And we walk not by our own strength anymore, or our own will anymore, but we walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we need to walk, we need to live, we need to keep in step. Well, who can help us learn how to walk? As humans, we Have a parent maybe get behind you and hold your arms up and teach you how to take those first few wobbly steps. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us how to walk and we all need a coach. We all need a coach. What does a coach do? A a coach tells you what the play is and which way to go. Uh, I've coached my boys. I have three boys and a girl. I've coached some of my boys' teams. I've coached baseball, I've coached flag football, and I've coached basketball. Yes, because I'm tall. That's the only reason, right? Uh, I was coaching my older two boys on a flag football team a few years ago. And uh, we had a play called the secret squirrel. Okay. And we had everybody line up on that side. And they were all going to run that way. And then the defense was going to go that way. But the secret squirrel was the guy all the way over on the far end. He was going to fake going that way. And then run around like a squirrel behind everybody. Take the handoff and go that way. It didn't work as well as I thought it would. Because the guy who was the secret squirrel in the one game was like, which way do I run? (laughs) And so the coach is there to say, this is the play. And buddy, you got to go that way. Buddy, that way, that way, that way. That's what a coach does. A coach says, this is the play. And this is how you do it. This is how you run it. Well, prior to coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, the playbook is whatever my heart wants. And so we need to learn new plays. We need a coach on the field saying, you walk this way, you run this way. Buddy, go that way. You want to run that way with the ball. You're running well, but you're running in the wrong direction. And so walk by the Spirit. Well, we need a coach because we're used to running the plays of gratifying the desires of our flesh. And so how does the Holy Spirit coach? Well, primarily through the new playbook, which is God's holy word. 
This is the playbook. The Holy Spirit is the coach. And yes, he works in our conscience and with the church communicating with us. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But primarily, this is the playbook. In fact, in the text that I read, we have the old plays we used to run and the new plays that we're supposed to run now that we're on the team of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit coaches us, helps us walk by the Spirit, primarily through the Bible. Because before Christ, our own heart was the playbook. Think about it. Before Christ, what should I eat? Well, before Christ, whatever I want, whenever I want, however much I want. Well, what should I eat now in Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to help me learn from Scripture why my body was designed, that my body is for the glory of the Lord. And the instructions on eating are in here. Lawful foods in moderation and occasional an occasional celebration. That's the new playbook for food. Legal foods in moderation, never to the point of overdoing it or getting drunk. And then occasional times of celebration. Before Christ, what words should I use? Well, I should say whatever I want to say. Whenever I want to say it, if I think it'll help me get ahead, if I think it helps me put someone else down, if I want to hate someone, it feels good to hate and powerful to hate. I'm going to use those words and gratify the desires of my heart. But in Christ, the Spirit coaches us on what words to say and how to say those words and what tone to say those words in. And our words start to be completely reshaped by the Holy Spirit's coaching. Because in James 3, we learn that the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Before Christ, we used our words for all manner of wickedness and evil, for mockery and slander, for hate, and for making other people feel small. And yet we learn that Jesus Christ used all of his words to build us up, to encourage us, to teach us, to train us, to correct us when we need it. He used his words to nourish his people. And so the Holy Spirit coaches that tongue which is on fire to actually be something that gives life to those around us. But we need a coach. The Holy Spirit who lives inside us, the indwelling Holy Spirit, teaches our mind and our tongue how and when to use words. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. That's what the coach does. We need the Holy Spirit to coach us. But as I said, the playbook is God's word now. Live this way, not that way. So we're going to look briefly at the coach's playbook. The old plays are in verses 19 through 21. And as I read them, you'll notice how every one of these is connected to desires. And what we're really going to need is new desires. Look at verses 19 through 21. And as I read, ask the Lord to highlight one or two where you really need to stop running these old plays. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Friends, that list 
is the old playbook that we used to run from birth. Our lives given over to sin, gratifying whatever our heart wanted, saying yes every time to those desires. And those old plays, all built off of our desires, put us first and everyone else last. They destroy unity. They destroy families. They destroy reputations. Those old plays are bad. But we've been running them since we were born. And so the Holy Spirit helps us stop running those plays. You know one of the main things the Holy Spirit starts to do as, you're, as you grow in Christ is he helps you to start feeling bad about those old plays. And eventually to start hating those old plays. But it's a long process of growing in the Lord. And the coach Holy Spirit is there to help us realize, oh, jealousy is ugly. I don't like feeling jealous anymore. Instead of being jealous of my friend or coworker or whoever it is or neighbor, I now am going to be happy for them instead of being jealous for what they have and I don't have. So the Holy Spirit helps us stop running those plays. And then the Holy Spirit trains us in the new plays. And watch what these new plays can do to a family, to a home, to a group of friends, to a church family. Think about these new plays. Verse 22 and 23. This is the playbook. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the new playbook. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit coaching us towards righteousness, helping us grow up as a child of God. And so maybe you need patience. Well, the Holy Spirit is growing the fruit of patience in you. And guess what? As we ask for more patience from the Lord, he will give it. But the muscle of patience only grows in scenarios where it's really easy to be impatient. If you want to grow in patience today, you're asking for God to bring situations into your calendar today that will require patience. Because from birth, the sinful desire is to be impatient. Me first. Why did you cut me off? What is going on? What's wrong with all of you? Why doesn't everyone think the world revolves around me? Well, the Holy Spirit gives patience. So consider this list again. And listen to what the Lord does. He puts us in a church family of former strangers who we only know because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, now practice these in the church first. So the church family, and when we gather on the Lord's Day, this is the practice field for the fruit of the Spirit for the rest of the week. And if we start living these out with one another, it will be easier for those muscles to be strong during the week. So think one more time. Maybe ask the Lord to help you pray for one of these today. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is practice for the playing field of life in a world where everyone else is saying, just gratify all your desires. Say yes 
to every desire, we go out as a new community that God is forming with these plays as our playbook. But without the Holy Spirit as our coach, we're stuck sounding like the songs on the radio. I try not to pick on the culture too much, but the songs on the radio are a great way to learn what's really going on. And if I, you look at the top 10 songs on the radio, they're basically all about the problem. Gratifying the desires of your heart all the time. But we need the Holy Spirit to coach us out of that. I looked it up this week. The number one song in the country is Last Night by Morgan Wallen. I don't know him or his music. I would not recommend looking up the lyrics. Wouldn't be worth your time. But I looked over them. It was clear. That song is like everything else on the top of the charts. It is all about desires and being controlled by your desires. That's what that song's about. By the end of the first line, he's drunk. Desires. He's so drunk that he can't remember everything that happened the night before he gave into his desires. And then there's some bedroom activity. While he's so drunk, he can't remember what's going on. That's giving in to his desires and potentially a felony. In the second verse, there's more drinking because he hadn't had enough gratifying his desires. And then he wakes up the next morning and you know what he wants? More of that. More uninhibited gratifying of his desires. That's what he wants. And he's talking about this other woman who he's singing to. And yet at no point does he promise to give for her or to serve her or to commit to her. He's treating this poor woman like an amusement park ride. That was fun. I want to go again. That was fun. And friends, that's the number one song in this country. A song about gratifying the sinful desires of our heart until you pass out and then wanting to do it again. If anyone ever treats my daughter like that man, you'll have to visit me in prison. Is that what you want, friends? To be controlled by every desire? It's not worth it. That's slavery to our old desires. We have disordered desires. That is the problem in the human heart. And unfortunately, we live in a world that celebrates disordered desires. They are the soundtrack of our culture and it's destroying people. But Jesus Christ offers new freedom, not just a new playbook. What we're going to find as we continue on in the message this morning is that the Holy Spirit isn't just saying, stop doing that, do this. The Holy Spirit is how we get new desires in our hearts, which is the real solution to the problem. We give in to old desires because we give in to every desire. And so we realize at the foot of the cross of Jesus that we actually need not just a new playbook and new rules, we need a new heart with new desires. But the Holy Spirit will hold our hand and walk with us as our coach. He'll help us stop running the old plays and stop running in the wrong direction the old plays that lead to destruction, and he'll help us start running the new plays that lead to life and hope. Friends, the Holy Spirit is our coach. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, a good coach is also going to call out 
those bad plays. And so we need the Holy Spirit as a critic. That's point number two. The Holy Spirit is a critic. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, that line in verse 24 is really what happens when we come to Christ. Our old self is given a mortal wound. Our old self is killed. Our old self is dying off as our new self is becoming real in our lives. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our old self is dead. And that's tough news to hear because it means that everything I was before Christ was going in the wrong direction. And that's really hard news to hear. How many of you really love criticism? I mean, you just want some criticism right now. I came to church, Pastor Dave, because I wanted to be criticized. Well, taking healthy criticism is a sign of maturity. If you want to grow, you need someone else to point out where you're headed in the wrong direction. We need a critic, and the Holy Spirit will do that. The Holy Spirit will help us realize that our old self is supposed to stay dead, and we're supposed to be our new selves running those new plays. And it's just like if you take your car to the mechanic. You take your car to the mechanic if it's running poorly and you say, mechanic, can you look at my car and diagnose it and tell me where there's a problem, where it's disordered? And the mechanic, if they're a good mechanic, looks at your car and says, actually, this is the thing that's wrong. Now, I take my car in for inspection every year and I've never even thought to say to my mechanic, how dare you tell me my brakes were weak? What's wrong with you criticizing my break? My mechanic loves me and cares for me and provides a service for me. And he's telling me that if I don't get my brakes fixed, there's going to be an accident. So a good mechanic will be a good critic. Well, who's going to do that for you and me as we walk this walk of life with Jesus Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to function as our critic. The Holy Spirit is going to say, your old self is prone to fits of anger. Your old self is prone to fits of jealousy. And the critic of the Holy Spirit will prick our conscience and let us feel, ah, oh, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. I don't like what I'm thinking right now. I don't like what I did last night. And that's the Holy Spirit fulfilling the role of critic in our hearts and lives. If you want to grow, you need a coach, but you also need a critic. Pointing out the old ways that need to die. And so, thanks be to God that he gave us his Holy Spirit to function in that way. To remind us of the old self that needs to die. But the Holy Spirit has also been given to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So look around the room for a moment. For every believer in this room, the Holy Spirit is alive in them. And sometimes, the Holy Spirit is going to give you that healthy criticism in your conscience, in your mind. You will realize that criticism coming. But the church is a gift that God has given one another. We are in each other's lives, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to criticize us with the loving, patient words of a brother or sister in Christ. When someone else in the church comes alongside us and learns our story and asks those hard questions. Can I ask you a hard question? 
Is what you're doing glorifying to Jesus Christ? Is that behavior showing signs that you have newness of life? Those words that you're using, are they building up the church family? That music that you're listening to, is it edifying to you and to the Holy Spirit in you? Because sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we walk the path of sin and we're blind to everything else, even to our own conscience. And God, because the Holy Spirit dwells in our brothers and sisters, sends a brother or sister in Christ who loves us enough to risk their relationship with us to say, brother or sister, Can I ask you a hard question? What a holy gift God gives us when a brother or sister is willing to wound us with words that bring life. And so the Holy Spirit is a critic through our conscience, but also through the church, a brother or sister who loves us enough to ask a hard question. So the Holy Spirit helps us as a critic in our conscience and through our church family. That's point number two. The Holy Spirit is a critic. Point one, the Holy Spirit's a coach. Point two, a critic. And finally, and briefly, the Holy Spirit is a counselor. A good counselor helps us know why we keep failing in the areas we keep failing. And a good counselor helps us know how to think about our lives. And that's why I started with the problem. We're sinners and we like it. We have disordered desires and that really is the big problem. That whole list of sins before Christ is a list of gratified desires of the flesh. And the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that grows in us to help us stop gratifying all those old destructive desires. Patience is the fruit that grows to help us overcome impatience. Joy is the fruit that grows to help us overcome envy. So we need a counselor to say, what have you been doing? Why have you been doing that? And we come to realize from Scripture that Christians are fighting a desire battle. We are in a desire battle. The world around us says, gratify every desire. The counselor says, I love you and I'm going to give you new desires. Look at verse 16 and 17. Here's the battle you are in if you are in Christ. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. It's a battle. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why do you not do the things you want to do? Because you're in a desire battle. You always do what you desire. And sometimes your old desires come back and you gratify them. And you need to seek the face of the Lord and ask him to give you those new desires. The reason why people fail New Year's resolutions by mid-February is because another desire pops up in their heart and they go back to gratifying the old desires. The reason why we sin is because we desire that sin more than the beautiful life-giving righteousness that God has designed for us. But the way of following Jesus is denying our old self. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's a disciple of Jesus. The denial of our old self, the denial of those desires. And taking up our cross is a life of suffering. This is not easy, saying no to our desires. One area where it's particularly difficult is the call to forgive. 
Is there anything more clear in the teaching of Jesus where we need to say no to our old desires than the command to forgive those who wrong us? I mean, think about forgiveness. How hard is it? Well, forgiveness by definition cannot be easy, can it? You've been wronged. An injustice has happened. Someone has slandered you publicly. Someone has mocked you in front of your friends. Someone has said horrible things about you that they never should have said. It's hard to forgive a great wrong. But in order to forgive, we need the fruit of the Spirit and we need to kill those old desires of wanting revenge or wanting our enemy, those who wronged us, to suffer more. We need new desires, and that's going to help us obey Jesus. Well, let's think about this through the lens of forgiveness for just a couple more moments. Because forgiveness, really, if you forgive, that means your old self is dying and you're getting the fruit of the Spirit growing in you. And I wanted to think about forgiveness today because one of my heroes of the faith died on Friday. Maybe you heard that Tim Keller a pastor from Redeemer Church in uh, New York, went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And it was very fast this week. I think that he went on hospice Thursday night, uh, and then he died Friday morning. And in my uh, years of ministry, I've probably learned more from Tim Keller than any other author that I've read. And so I've just really appreciated it. His final book came out in November of last year, I believe, and it's called Forgive. I think that's his final book, Forgive. So I have two quotes on forgiveness from Tim Keller, allowing his life and testimony to carry on throughout this weekend as we remember him. Here's a quote which proves how hard forgiveness is. He says in his book, Forgive, forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. Suffering is the opposite of desires, right? Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost of that wrong. Voluntary suffering. You can't give in to your desires and choose suffering. It goes against our old desires. Well, then the second quote. And think about the difference this makes in a Christian community when we start to live out Jesus' call. Keller says this, If a relationship has broken down, it is always your move to initiate relationship repair. He says, Matthew 5 says, If your brother has something against you, go to him. And Matthew 18 says, If you have something against your brother, go to him. So it doesn't matter who started it. A Christian is responsible to begin the process of reconciliation regardless of how the alienation began. But forgiveness goes against the desires of our flesh. You can't smile on your way in to offer forgiveness to someone. It's just incongruent with how you're feeling. But the Holy Spirit grows that fruit in us of peace and hope and joy And then we're able to do the hard things that require us to deny our old desires. The old desires say, don't forgive. What does the culture say now? Never forget and never forgive. Because if you do that, you can always gratify the desire that you're better than the person who wronged you. 
But we have to deny those and kill those old desires. And the Holy Spirit is our counselor to help us realize the desires that need to die and the new desires that need to grow so that we can forgive. And the power to forgive is not in the rule book saying you must forgive. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says that, friends, you have been forgiven. And only once you realize you've received forgiveness can you deny those old desires and grow in the fruit of the Spirit and walk around forgiving those who have wronged you? Our desires are disordered. Our culture celebrates disordered desires. So we need a counselor. And the Holy Spirit is our counselor. What do you struggle with from that list? And what do you need from the list of the fruit of the Spirit? What do you struggle with on that list of the old desires? This week, confess that to the Lord and ask him to forgive. And then look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit and run to the throne room of grace for the mercy you need in your time of need. You need some of that fruit this week to be able to live by the Spirit. So a coach criticizes you when you're out on the court. A critic criticizes you when you make decisions and take wrong actions. A counselor counsels you in the office. We know we're a human coach and a human critic and a human counselor function. When does the Holy Spirit do this work as we end? When does the Holy Spirit do his work as coach, critic, and counselor in our hearts? Well, he does it all the time because he indwells us. He lives inside of us. But when does he do it especially? The Holy Spirit does his work during the ordinary means of grace in our hearts and lives and in our church family's community. Let me explain. When you listen to a sermon, the Holy Spirit is coaching, criticizing, or counseling, or all three. And we receive that. He's been doing that for all of you this morning. When we gather for worship in song, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you, I know during one or two songs this morning, the Holy Spirit was counseling me about my old desires and the new desires I need and encouraging me and giving me joy as I worship. The Holy Spirit does that as we worship in song. The Holy Spirit does this as we gather for prayer. This morning during our house of prayer, The Holy Spirit was coaching, criticizing, and counseling us. He does it when we get together in small groups or one-to-one accountability, one-to-one discipleship that we're doing as a church. As we read our Bibles and as we commit to memorizing portions of Scripture, the Holy Spirit can bring a memorized Scripture back to us just when we need it, doesn't he? When your family or individually you get together at your house for family worship, when you meditate on the word at night, when you listen to good, wholesome Christian music, he does it all the time, but the Holy Spirit especially does his work when we do what the Bible tells us to do. And so we need the church family and we need Christian disciplines. In fact, this is how the church started. Do you remember how the church started? Not Cornerstone Church, but the church, the church. In Acts chapter 2, The Holy Spirit comes in full and a whole bunch of amazing things start to happen. So the Holy Spirit is there. The coach is there. The critic's there. The counselor's there. And then how did they grow? Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The ordinary means of grace God has given us. The Holy Spirit will not be thwarted. He will be at work in your heart and mind all week, but he's especially at work when we're with our church family and where we're in the word and in worship and prayer and meditating on the scriptures. That is how he gives us new desires. God is making a new people. We're set free from old desires into freedom in Christ and then we learn how to walk in the spirit. So friends, that's the invitation today from God by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Verse 16, but I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So may God continue to give us, by the coaching, criticizing, and counseling work of the Holy Spirit, new life-giving desires for our good and for his glory. Let me pray. Lord, we need you. We need new desires. Help us to stop running those old destructive plays and help us to desire your new playbook, the fruit of your spirit. Help us to love more this week. Help us to have joy in our hearts more this week. Help us be more patient this week. Lord, help us to forgive knowing that we've been forgiven by you Send us out into this world as forgiven forgivers, modeling the gospel of Jesus for the world that desperately needs it. Help us say no to our old dead desires and help us say yes to the fruit of your spirit growing in us. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given your Holy Spirit to us in full. May we walk in the spirit today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand?